Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. I bought him a couple tubes of dill pickle Pringles and wished him the best. This looked like a, a chicken exploded and someone glued it to a hook. Remember, if they don't come to you and stroke a check while whining and dining you on a corporate card at the Sizzler, you're not actually on the pro staff. If you guys know anybody that'll trade some Roland Martin DVDs for some repair work, you better hit me up. Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, where we drop the know-how to get you on a hot bite faster than you can eat a bag of White Castle burgers. I'm Joe Cermelli. <laughs> I'm Miles Nolte. <laughs> And this week, we've got a real buffet for you guys, except it's not like the expensive buffet at the MGM Grand, where you get them crab legs. It's more like the buffet at the Flying J, the restaurant connected to a truck stop. Mm. And you're mostly skeeved out. They have by good the showers. Yeah, I know, they have, yeah, you can rent them by the, by the minute. Uh, you're mostly skeeved out by the, by the <laughs> choices sure on the buffet, but there are still a few things you know you just can't help a pile on your plate. You're like, that's going to make me vomit, but them chicken feet look real good. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel terrible later. But uh, you know, we've got we've got soupy bread pudding, we've got shoe leather prime mm. rib, and potato mm. salad for days. But before we hit our main <laughs> courses, we need to uh, we need to help get you guys dialed in with a regional fishing report. So we know there's a lot of tournament bass fans out there, and Miles and I aren't two of them. I <laughs> no, mean, <laughs> not, not at all. I mean, but uh, to be fair, I, I have a lot of respect for those folks. Absolutely. I know that they are incredibly talented anglers, but it's kind of like how I know that Dave Matthews is an incredibly talented musician. But I'm still, I'm still not listening to Crash Into You anytime soon. Like, I'm not going to play that at my house. It's actually crashing to me, and I, I hate that I know that because I don't like I don't like Dave I don't Matthews care, whatever, either. You know what I'm but, saying? It's a terrible song. <laughs> but but I respect the grind completely with these guys, and and while I enjoy bass fishing myself, um, I'd never want it to be the thing that helped me pay my mortgage or put more frozen chicken nuggets 
on my kids' plates. But as you guys know, we welcome all anglers here at Bent, and we certainly want to cater to the wants and needs of you bass addicts. And I personally just love fishing for largemouth bass. That was probably one of the first fish that I just got totally sucked into and couldn't get enough of. I mean, to this day, one of my favorite things in the world is to fish a frog through heavy cover and watch a bass just blow up on it. I think that is one of life's great joys. And you know, it is. I don't care (laughs) what you say. I'm a brown bass guy. I'm a brown bass guy, but if I'm in the mood, I'll go for the green ones. Whatever. (laughs) I, despite your, your, your throwing shade, those, those big mouth bass guys, they know a lot and I respect their hustle, but I've always been more interested in that tournament scene from like a, like a sociological perspective. Yeah. It's, There's it's an interesting weird, scene. Yeah. Weird shit that goes on in there that I genuinely don't understand. Right. So we want to do a segment about it, but since we don't know what we're talking about, we figured we needed to bring in an actual expert. Yeah, I mean, the original plan was to get an occasional weekly tournament report from one of the top tier pros, but it turns out they all require uh, money Yeah, we, we don't have. We don't, have, we don't have any of that. So this week's tournament report comes from a man on the ground, self-described pro Rance Stimpkins. An interesting story with his kid, which I believe I've told you, but I met him at a Dollar General in Stuckey, South Carolina a few years back, and I had just, I had just popped in looking for a bottle of Tylenol PM, and this Rance kid comes up to me, totally invades my personal space, and he's trying to sell me a radar detector and Wait, like, a, like a off, used radar like detector? a used radar detector right <laughs> and spouting off some shit about needing a hundred more bucks to get into a tournament on lake murray which is bizarre but he was so nice right like us northeasterners were all jerks and like everybody in the south is so nice he was so nice that i actually felt bad for him and i didn't i didn't buy the radar detector because I don't need a radar detector, but I, I bought him a couple tubes of dill pickle Pringles and wished him the best. And the funny thing is, like, years later, he had no idea that was his big break, because now we need a legit Bass Pro to give us occasional Bass reports, so we give you Rance Stimpkins. Hey, y'all. Professional bass angler Rance Stimpkins here. Before we get into the meat of this report, I've got to thank Evan Rude Outboards for always getting me up and down the lake. I mean, except for that one time I knocked my lower unit off at Santee and had to spend the night roped up to some riprap. Other than that, though, it's got me back to the ramp every time. As I'd like to say, without a rood, you'd be screwed. Look, I know y'all are dying for this inside scoop on this recent little goat rodeo we had at Lake Fort. Van Dam and Ike and them may have had 30 pounds a day, but old Rant's here. I was watching them online on Saturday while eating off the Waffle House kids menu and home by the time they got their checks on Sunday. Shame of it is I was this damn close again. All right, guys, here's what happened. I only had three of my very special deep diving crankbaits. I'm not going to tell you which ones, though, mostly because the company doesn't cut me a check yet, but also because I buy the good ones on eBay, not those shitty made-in-China ones that don't hunt worth a shit. I set them on the dashboard of my truck until the chartreuse and blueback are perfectly faded, and that paint's bubbling just a little bit. It's a deal I learned about from an old-timer down there on Seminole. Bitch of it is, I gave one to my roommate, Travis, because he hasn't cut a check all year, and I need him to stay on the road with me. I mean, I got a split expensive with somebody, and I figure I guess I can beat them semi-consistently. So that left me with two cranks, and I mean, I was just absolutely smoking them on it in practice. I was feeling myself so much that I took the last day of practice off while Travis was still pre-fishing, hoping he'd left that crank I'd gave him out. I was going to grab it and blame the meth heads hanging around the trailer we'd rented, but he was smart enough to lock it away. 
And then it's tournament time and I lose one of them cranks the first damn morning and now I'm down to my last one. So I start throwing some other patterns, figuring that I go back to that crank on championship Sunday, get myself a comeback win and bask in the glory of all them people finally getting to know the name, Rance Stimpkins. Well, I only ended up with one two pounder all day. But that didn't get me down. I mean, this is Lake Freaking Fork. Ten pounders grow on trees around here. And I knew where they lived, but see, I was boat 67, and by the time I got to my spot, there's four dudes already fighting over it. So I did the sportsman-like thing and left. Well, also, one guy I won't name here threatened to have my 88 Rangers sunk if I didn't get the hell out. Them veterans are like that, though, but I think they'll come around as soon as I get that big win. It's coming. I can feel it. Man, I don't know what happened. They just quit biting on my secret crank. I mean, I hit all the spots where I was wearing them out in practice, but I just barely managed a 12-pound limit. That was the end of it for old Rance, I reckon. But hey, don't worry about me none. I'm keeping my head up. I just need a good break or three and a six-figure title sponsor. Oh, shit, I also need to replace the rear suspension in my Dodge. So if you guys know anybody that'll trade some Roland Martin DVDs for some repair work, you better hit me up. Now listen here, folks. If y'all want to know how a real pro attacks the country's best lakes for absolute fence pandas, check out my YouTube channel. I mean, I haven't created it yet, but I've got tons of footage that'll blow y'all away. Also, my damn Instagram account got hacked after I bought a bunch of knockoff Sankos from AliExpress. But I'll have that back up shortly. You know, man, I, I actually believe in rants. <laughs> I, I think he's right. I, I feel good about that dude. I, I mean, I know he's not really pulling it off, but I, th I think he's just like one good break away from making it. And then he can he can retire all those secondhand jerseys we've been seeing him dumpster dive out of the back of sports authorities. I, yeah, they're I, like, it's like the crystal clear Pepsi jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that dude. I think we should keep him around. He'll get there, and uh, we should keep him around. I'd like to hear from him again. Try to track his progress. You yeah. know what I mean? See We're how he develops. To do that. You know what else I think we should keep around? The weekly word segment. Let's do that. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... This week, we're taking a look at adipose, as in adipose fin, as in that fleshy little nub that sticks up between the tail and the dorsal fin of trout, salmon, catfish, and about 6,000 other less popular fishes. The word comes from the Latin root adipem, which means soft fat of animals. See, up until the last 20 years or so, fisheries biologists thought that the adipose fin was just a leftover fat deposit that natural selection hadn't gotten around to scraping off yet, like a rubbery little appendix. Turns out, that's not correct. Recent research has shown that, one, the adipose fin isn't actually made of fat, and two, it seems to serve some kind of purpose. We're just not entirely sure what that purpose is yet. Since at least two separate lineages of fish, catfishes and salmonids, evolved adipose fins, it's likely that these warty-looking bulbs serve some function. Recent findings show that adipose fins are connected to the nervous system, and they're mostly found in fish that live in moving water. The hypothesis goes that they might act as flow sensors, helping fish feel and navigate current. And that's all well and good for scientists, but for trout, steelhead, and salmon fishermen, the adipose means one thing and one thing only. Wild fish. Because for generations, hatcheries have been cutting the adipose off pen-raised fish so that anglers can tell them apart from the wild ones. And since wild salmon and steelhead are protected in most places these days, the presence or absence of an adipose fin determines if you are allowed to keep that fish. 
it literally dictates the fate and identity of a fish. West Coast steelhead purists will cradle unclipped wild fish with awe and reverence, then chuck aside a mildly mutilated cousin muttering, God damn hatchery rats. Consequently, those weird little skin tags have become symbols for wildness, healthy fisheries, and the cultural divide between anglers who fish for meat and those who fish for sport. Macro photos of adipose fins have become one of the new stand-ins for grip and grins, especially among the fly fishing catch and release crowd. In fact, there's even a popular drift boat manufacturer out here in Montana called Adipose Boatworks. We may all have trouble agreeing on the function, importance, and significance of that little fin, but just about everyone agrees, myself included, those are some badass boats. I suspect we only care about the adipose fin because we're so obsessed with trout and salmon. If that spinal bump only protruded off the backs of candlefish and whiskery bottom feeders, I kind of doubt any of us would even know what it's called. As an experiment, I think I'm going to start doing like artsy photos of gray catfish nubs glistening in the sunlight and see if that catches on, Joe. What do you think? Um, what I think is that they have to refill the catfish nubs tray at the truck stop buffet uh, pretty much every time I'm there because those are delicious. You slap a little Texas pizza and a dash of lemon pepper. Hell, you know, I just cut those off like shark fins and let and let the fish go when I'm catfishing. That's what I think about those catfish nubs. Also, uh, you use the term rubbery little appendix. I'm claiming that is the name of my next commercial dry fly for the Umqua catalog. So please lay back off, off Sir Melly. You know, I trademark <laughs> anything halfway clever that I ever come up with. You know, I do that. Moving on. Let's get to trivia. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, we've got one of your very best friends playing today, right? We do. Yes, sir. Captain Eric Kerber of On a Mission Fishing Adventures here in Jersey from uh, Stripers to Tuna to Flounder to Fluke. He's your man, one of my oldest pals, and we'll be hearing from uh, from him more in the future, rest assured. But for now, I'm just going to try and throw old curbs off with a little trash-talking slang. <laughs> you got to be highly skilled for these f***ing shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well-versed there? Are you a very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Playing today, we have one of my oldest and dearest friends, Captain Eric Kerber of On a Mission Fishing Adventures, Jersey boy like me. What's up, bro? Hey, hey. You ready to play? Uh, I guess. I'm excited about this trivia question because it's like tailor made for you. As soon as I came up with it, I was like, "This is a question for Eric." All right, for so me to get for me to get or not get? I don't know. I don't know whether you're going to get it or not, but you're going to like it. You're going to you're going to use it when you're done. All right. So here's here's your oh, trivia oh, question. Okay. All right, Hollywood is a slang term for which of the following? A guy that insists every fish he swings on is a giant, only to typically backpedal and say, man, it's not as big as I thought it was. <laughs> a guy that owns a boat costing more than $200,000 but has no idea how to run it. A guy that insists on keeping the clicker on so everyone can hear his fish run. <laughs> a guy who shoots hours of head cam footage while fishing but then never edits or posts the video anywhere. Which one of those is a Hollywood? I'd say all except D. No, it's not like that. It's one, it's one answer. <laughs> there's no all of the above? Nope, there's no all of the above. It, it's, it's a specific answer. I, I'd go with B. So B, a guy that owns a boat costing more than $200,000 but has no idea how to run it? Exactly. 
That is incorrect. A Hollywood. Now, here's why I thought of you. Hollywood is a West Coast term, and you spent some time in California, living in California. I did. In Hollywood, actually. So on the West Coast, a Hollywood is the doucher that insists on keeping his clicker on so everybody knows uh, was, that he's got a fish running on the other end. That was going to be my that was going to be my second <laughs> choice or or the first one, but I thought of you cuz I don't know how many times you've been out and you're like turn that goddamn clicker off. Clicker <laughs> off. Turn that clicker off. Clicker can get it. Clicker can get a little bit annoying. So now this season you can start throwing out Hollywood when all your people do that. All right. Good attempt, though. Thanks for playing. <laughs> I like the Hollywood. Hollywood. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten it wrong, though. But, really? uh, but yeah. yeah, no, I, but I would have gone with the first one. I would have gone with the guy who's like every single fish he swings. I was like, he's a monster. I got a big one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, probably that's that's because I, I don't actually use clickers right. ever. So I'm, right. I'm kind of out of my element on that one. Yeah, dude, I can't tell you how often I've thrown clickers off on my boat. Like when you're fishing <laughs> like a big live bait, like live bunker for stripers, you know, if you know what you're doing, you've been doing that a long time you don't even need the clicker you just feel it you feel it with your thumb but when you have noobs on the boat the mm. clicker it's less for them and more for me right i, I want to be able to hear the tone of the runoff because all i need is the audio to know if, if a striper picked up the bait or it's just the mm. bait pulling because i mean even with the clicker on it's like is that him is that him? Is that him? I'm like, no, you'll know. It's going <laughs> to be a lot. It's going to be a lot higher pitched and faster. <laughs> like that's no, no. And as soon as I'm finally like, yeah, that is him. Now set the hook and they come tight. I just walk over and I'm like, good job. Let me just switch that clicker off for you. Real yeah. Quick. Yeah. But, but then, okay. You do that. But then how, how's that noob supposed to let everyone else know around what a badass she is on her first time out. <laughs> you got to let them know. And Dude, uh, you're a badass when you get it to the net. You know what I'm saying? Like that, then you're the badass. When you put but, it on the gram. Uh, right. <laughs> anyway, get ready because we're about to let all of you know. We're not just talking about clickers. We are talking about news. Put on your thinking caps and grab a turkey leg while Joe and I <laughs> joust medieval time style to see who brought the best newsy bits to the table this week. Fish news. That escalated quickly. So here we are. We've landed at Fish News, which uh, for those of you who have been following along, is not only designed to keep you informed about all things fishing and fishy going on, but uh, also let you in on this little news competition that Miles and I have going because we do not know which news stories the other is bringing to the table, which makes this fun. However, before we get into news, um, just a quick, quick note here that um, we are listening to you guys, okay? Since the show has started, we've been getting a ton of amazing feedback. So I just wanted to say, because uh, I don't know if it'll ever be an actual weekly word, but for the like dozens of people from Wisconsin who wrote in to say, please use the acronym FIBS, F-I-B-S, uh, as one of your weekly words. I'm not sure I'll do that, but I do appreciate it. Um, and, and that's what I guess Wisconsin people refer to, uh, Illinois people as, and that would be effing Illinois bastards. Yeah. So apparently you guys are really digging the, um, derogatory terms for out-of-staters. That was a and, tidal uh, wave do, uh, of, of feedback <laughs> tidal, on that one. Tidal wave of fibs. Yeah, tidal wave of fibs, Came rolling into the sure. inbox. 
and we do appreciate it. So we are listening to you. Uh, I just want to give a little bit more context on the pebble mine permitting situation that I talked about last week. A number of you have written to me about that one. So just so we're all clear, the mining permit was not accepted as written by the Corps of Engineers, but Northern Dynasty Minerals can still change their application and resubmit. Point being, this isn't over, and we'll probably be covering it again. But despite all that, the decision last week was still a huge success because, you know, digging was about to start happening imminently. And at least we got that stayed. And, uh, you know, it's just another move toward what our ultimate goal is, which, again, we're not finished with, but kind of keeping that mind from ever happening at all. Yes, it's a battle won within a big war, and it was definitely worthy of an extra white claw or two last weekend. So we hope you did that. And uh, hopefully I won't need a few white claws after this because it is your week to lead off and you always want to be the lead off man in this news competition. It's very important. So I give you the floor, my friend. I appreciate it. And just so you guys know, we're making a slight change to this segment. Ah, yes. You know, like up until now, we've each just sort of like independently claimed victory without any fair judgment and just assumed that we both won. But who knows who won, right? And and I don't know about you, man, but it's starting to wear on me, Joe, because I'm competitive and I want an actual winner. So that's that's fine. The only that's solution what you need to feel better. Well, just so I know, <laughs> the only solution that we can come up with is to bring our very own Phil the engineer as judge, jury, and executioner. Moving forward, Phil will be the decider, and one of us will emerge victorious. Namely me. All right. <laughs> I'm going to start out this week with something that's a big problem for many fisheries and, uh, and some new research that just came out that might help mitigate that problem. I'm talking about algae, all right? Algal blooms pose a significant threat to many of our lakes and estuaries, which are some of the most fertile fish habitat in the world. Big blooms can cause big problems. They can choke out other aquatic plants, produce nasty neurotoxins, and when they inevitably die off, the surrounding water can be completely depleted of oxygen. Red tides are often exacerbated by algal blooms, and the the growing marine dead zones that you may have read about are usually the result of those blooms. Between warming water temps and increased fertilizer runoff, algae blooms have been growing in scope and frequency all over the world, a trend that researchers refer to as eutrophication. If you pay attention to fisheries news at all, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just two weeks ago, there was a massive fish kill reported in Biscayne Bay, Florida. So far, water quality managers have been the only ones working to find solutions for this problem. But a recent study out of Sweden suggests that fisheries managers may have a role to play in controlling algal blooms as well. And that's good news because the more tools that we can find to combat these blooms, the better equipped we might be to combat them. So this research team, they're studying the relationship between large predators, small predators, grazers, and algae. In this case, the large predators were pike and perch. They eat the small predators, in this case, sticklebacks, which eat the grazers, and the grazers feed on algae. That part is key. The team found that when large predator populations started to decline, algal blooms increased. Fewer pike and perch meant more sticklebacks. All those sticklebacks ate the grazers that would have otherwise eaten the algae. 
Okay, so this might seem like esoteric science nerd stuff, but it really matters for us anglers because it suggests that fisheries management might help us deal with increasing algae. I mean, yeah, we still got to mitigate the floods of nutrients that we're pumping into our waters, but this study suggests that maintaining strong populations of top predators might also knock back algae. Extra bonus, those top predators, those are the fish that we target. So another way to look at this is that the lakes and estuaries with more of the fish that you and I want to catch are also more resistant to large algae blooms, right? So this is a win-win if we can figure out how to do this right. Wow. Okay. So I'm... <laughs> did I, did <laughs> that I just was totally lot, lose that you That was there? a lot to take in. No, you didn't lose me at all, but that was a lot to take in. Um, because I, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying. Like it's all like sort of, it's all food chain related, obviously, but I think I'm missing the part about how fisheries biologists can help this or what we can do with predator fish when you're dealing with situations in Florida where those algae blooms are completely out of control because of outside factors. Like how do we not have them kill the predator fish in the ecosystem they're affecting? They're still going to do that, right? That's that's not, this isn't a panacea or like a fix-all. What it's saying is that if we can maintain high populations of those predatory fish, that we can help keep the grazers around that can feed on the algae. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of solution. We still have to deal right. with these massive nutrient influxes that are happening. But it's one more tool that might we might be able to put in the toolbox for management so it's not all on water quality engineers that fisheries managers might have a role to play, that we might be able to help this whole thing out. I, I, I'm not trying to suggest, and none of the researchers have said, hey, we got this figured out, but even a slight possible win in that direction, I'm, I'm calling that fantastic news, particularly in this case when it says, hey, if we can keep the, the populations of fish that you guys like high, it might help knock back some of these algae blooms. No, no, I get it. And it is really interesting because we've a lot of us have heard about these blooms over the last few years, and a lot of it's associated with Florida. Like, you hear about it in Florida so yeah. much. But it is happening in other places. In fact, just last summer, um, two local lakes that I've been fishing since I was a kid had some sort of bloom that, that all of a sudden caused signage all around. It was like, don't swim in here, don't fish in here, don't eat anything in here. This is really bad. And yeah. I, that has never happened here in my entire life. Yep. So I do, I do think this is important science now because this is happening more in places that it didn't before. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all over the country and it's all over the world. And it's not just in those estuaries. Like we hear about it a lot in Florida and Louisiana and some places like that. But it's also, like you're saying, happening in freshwater lakes. More nutrients are coming into those lakes. It's the same, the same situation. You get big algae blooms, particularly that blue-green algae, which produces those cyanobacteria neurotoxins, and then you can't swim there, you can't eat the fish. It's bad for everything. So the short version is that we can use uh, we can use pike and walleyes and predators as a tool to fight the algae, right? Yes, that's the gist. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to jump over to to my story, um, where high-powered rifles are used to fight something else. Yes, I okay. saw this one. This is, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is the one that I thought you were going to grab. And uh, so I was actually first alerted to this story by listener Mike Gillen. And I thought at the time it was just sort of a weird one-off, like something he dredged up from somewhere, you know, 
Um, and within a very short time, this was blowing up on several news outlets. But I will start with the version that Mike sent, which was on taskandpurpose.com. Headline, we salute the badass Coasties who opened fire on a friggin' shark that crashed his cruise swim call. <laughs> headline of the century that, right there. That's a really good headline. Right. Okay. So um, this happened essentially in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, as and one quote in one of the stories puts it a zillion miles from land. <laughs> and um, the story says, as a Not way to, get to break too technical, up, but right, zillion, you know, yeah. it, whatever. Uh, as a way to break up the daily monotony of life at sea, the crew of the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Kimball was recently rewarded with a swim call, meaning everyone kicks off their flippy floppies (parentheses) <laughs> or combat boots and leaps into the wide open ocean. However, they had an unexpected and entirely unwanted guest, an eight-foot mako shark. Now, other reports have it as either a mako or a pelagic thresher, but to my eye, looking at the photos, uh, that head is way too pointy to be a thresher. So I'm going, uh, I'm going with mako. So the crew of the Kimball is swimming, and I need to add they also had an inflatable unicorn, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Cheers, guys. You guys are so awesome and American badasses out there. Uh, when someone on the bridge of the cutter said shark over the radio. And uh, Maritime Enforcement Specialist First Class Samuel Sintron was the dude on the flight deck tasked with shark overwatch during the swim. And when the Mako appeared near the uh, ship's rescue door, Sintron lo- got locked on target. So this task and purpose article quote, uh, it also quotes the Facebook post from crew members on the boat. And my favorite line is, our animal lover chief who wants to save every animal she finds yelled, shoot it. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> now, as the Mako moved toward the swimmer still in the water, Sintron fired off a, quote, well-aimed burst right over top of the shark. Uh, and he says the shark would wave off with each burst because there were multiple bursts, but kept coming back towards the shipmates. And, um, you know, <laughs> several of these stories including the task and purpose story, made a point of pointing out that the shark was not injured, okay? And there's a quote in there from a crew member that says, our goal was to keep it away from shipmates, not harm it if possible. Um, But like I said, he did shoot at it more than once. And everyone got out of the water safely. There was no injury. Uh, Even the inflatable unicorn lived to tell the tale. But here's the thing, all right? I watched the video of this because there is very good, very clear video, okay, from the flight deck. And I got to say, if Sintron was purposely trying to just scare the shark away, he might be the greatest marksman ever. Because to my eye, he wasn't shooting near the shark or next to the shark. Like, it looks like he was going for center mass, man. Like, and, and this shark, you got to remember, it's right under the surface. You can, you can see it very clearly. And you also clearly see it doesn't go belly up and there was no blood. But if you watch how he placed those bursts, I do not understand how that was not a dead shark. They both look dead on to me. And, uh, you know, to be clear, right, I'm all about shark conservation. I've done some shark fishing. It's been a long time, uh, but they've been hit hard. And I believe we should leave the sharks alone. And many rules have changed. I mean, even out here on the East Coast, you can still kill a mako, but it's got to be pretty big. They've changed the rules. They've made it harder. But anyway... This crew, per the story, had been trapped on the cutter for four weeks straight, and God bless them. Again, you guys are badasses. And this swim was the first time they got uh, off of this boat in four weeks. So would it have been so terrible, given that the shark was posing a threat to end this story with, 
And then the crew feasted on delicious grilled mako and enjoyed <laughs> mako sandwiches for the next three days. You know, instead of the standard Chef Boyardee raviolis or whatever you eat for a month on a Coast Guard cutter. Like, come on, we give them one. We could have given our boys one shark. I would have been, been, been fine with that ends. ending. Yeah. I, that, would, that would not have made me sad. And I'm with you. I'm pro, pro sharks, as, as I think I talked about in the last episode. Like, sharks generally don't want to attack us. We don't need to attack the sharks. But in a situation like this, you know, sharks, sharks out of line. Yeah. He was an you know? ornery shark. He kept coming. I mean, the video, he keeps coming back. Um, it's a problem again, shark. Man, like, dude, if, if, if he was shooting in such a way that like he knew he was going to get that close but miss, he's the man. Because it's just bah, 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 like right well, on top of I, I mean, let's just call it that. He's the man and, and, you know, a much better trained marksman than either of us. And my hat goes off to him. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and, and I think this was pretty justified. I mean, it was an absolute safety issue with a lot of people in the water in the open ocean. Um, but, like, you know, there's some offshore dudes in Louisiana and Texas do this stuff every other Sunday. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and I, can't, I can't actually support that. But this, I think this would be a case of uh, justified shark aside. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition us to a, a much smaller predator and one that didn't win the battle. Uh, and I got to say, this is very different from the stuff I've been reporting on recently. But this is just a cool story. And it comes from your side of the country, Joe. I'm oh, okay. sure you remember the the somewhat awkwardly named tropical storm, Isaias. Oh, dude, the eye literally came over my home. Yeah. I we know we met. were talking that day. We know each other well. Yeah. 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 A lot of people out here, by the way, are calling it Hurricane Easy Eas. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that was not mentioned in the coverage. Uh, no. And I know, I know it knocked out a lot of power in a lot of communities, like over by you. Um and one of those communities that lost power was Barkhamstead, Connecticut. And that's where our story's protagonist, Leslie Slater, just happens to live. So Leslie and her family were having a tough day. It was brutally hot. The power was out, so there's no air conditioning. There's still a global pandemic going on, so they didn't have a lot of options on what they could do. But Leslie and her family, they did not wallow in their misfortune. Uh-uh, No. They did what all of us should do in a situation like that. Leslie, her husband and kids packed up their kayaks and fishing gear, and they headed out to the local river. All right, so Leslie's in her kayak. She's got her kids. She's got her husband. She's got her light spinning rod, and she's just fishing and floating and relaxing and making the best of a tough situation. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com. 
com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Now, according to the story she told the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, she was, quote, jigging a rooster tail for trout, which I don't know that I've ever mm, jigged a rooster yeah. tail, but I'm going to let that one go. When, <laughs> when she got bit, and no surprise, uh, it didn't turn out to be some dinky little finless Toby stock tank rainbow. After a very long and apparently very exciting fight, Leslie brought in a 46-inch, 29-pound pike. I and, you know what I did see that I I did not yes okay yeah. yes monster and, and fish you guys this thing is a beast yeah like it, it really is do a little googling and and you can find it for yourselves and somehow Leslie managed to bring this thing in on like spinning tackle without breaking the rod without breaking the line and then she wrestled it into this teeny little like tippy kayak this wasn't a fishing kayak at all <laughs> this is not this is just like a regular kayak that she didn't even have a skirt on she wrestled this thing into the kayak without capsizing somehow she didn't get any of her digits bitten off which i also don't understand and then the whole family paddles over shore takes pictures with the fish which they exactly should have done i mean the thing was amazing they tried to release it but uh between the long fight on the light tackle and the warm water i mean that fish was just done so their next mission was to try and get it weighed at a certified scale and see if it was a state record. But, you know, that that also proved to be quite the challenge because, again, <laughs> you're in the middle of a total power outage everywhere. Yep, yep. And, and, and all the COVID shutdowns. So the first place they took it to was a local deli. And she, like, carries <laughs> this giant fish in and sets it on the local deli counter. But the fish yeah, is but, too big for the scale. The ham scale, like the lunch meat scale, can't possibly be certified. I mean, no. look, you know what? In a, in a tough situation, I give him credit for that move, right? But like, that it's not a that's certified not scale. But again, I mean, well, at least it, show, it shows they're, they're thinking fun. exactly. And and this is my favorite image. They like slap it down on the deli counter. They put it on the scale, and the, you know, the head and the tail just fall down onto the counter, right? So that's not going to work. And Slater described the reactions from other deli customers as quote priceless and i can only imagine like you're standing in line to get your lunch meat and there's this giant pike hanging off either end of the scale so anyway 
Finally, they did get the fish to a certified scale at the local county store, and it officially tied the state record pike. And I gotta say, man, I love everything (laughs) about this story. It's just like a positive attitude pays dividends. And we've said this before. If you're having a terrible day, just take it from Leslie. Go fishing. Exactly. It's going to get better. I was just going to say, man, I have lived through. I I got spared by easy Eas. I didn't lose my power. (laughs) But I've been there for five days with no power. And like on day four, it's like, okay, the family is somewhere else. And I'm just manning this, you know, shut down home. You go fishing. So she's yep. right on the money. And um, man, this this news post, however, might, and my follow-up, might uh, <laughs> upset our friends in Connecticut because as a man who loves pike, I am, I am a pike junkie, I am long overdue for some pike missions in Connecticut, and there is some seriously good pike water in that tiny state. Clearly. Um, and, and now the world knows uh, where one of them is. So Well, I mean, I think it's probably going to end up either in in her family's belly or on her wall but uh yeah i mean that was a, you guys that was a huge pike 29 pound pike that thing's a monster that must have been a lot of fun good on you leslie yeah that's that's like saskatchewan numbers right For there. sure i mean that's that's incredible um okay so we'll go from we'll go from big predators okay to teeny tiny worms how's that sound <laughs> i like it this story comes to us from the environmental section of buffalorising.com, based out of Buffalo, New York. And it reads, as if we didn't have enough to worry about, now we've got jumping earthworms on our hands? Yep, you heard it right. A new invasive species has reared its eyeless and squirming head in these parts, causing another concerning echo stir. And similar to the actions of Asian carp, another invasive species that is on our doorstep, when these suckers are disturbed, they thrash about, hence their jumping moniker. It is also significant to note that these unwelcome critters are also slightly iridescent and leave behind granular castings that resemble ground beef, according to earthworm scientist Nick Henshew. Right now, so apparently these more <laughs> aggressive jumping earthworms are cropping up in significant numbers in western New York. And the article says that they've actually been down in the south for a number of years now and have really only been noticed widely in places like New England in the past 15 to 20 years. Um, and it says it is thought that the earthworms arrived in a shipment of mulch similar to how invasive species arrive in the hands of humans. The kicker here is that these destructive worms live close to the Earth's surface where they can scavenge for fallen leaves. And typically these leaves are left to decompose and then get recycled back into the soil, thus providing the trees with the nutrients that they need to thrive. Um, And then we're gonna get to the fishy part because this does connect to fishing directly. It goes on to say the ability of these worms to reduce the leaf litter, to mix up soil horizons and to add a whole lot of bacteria to the soil is very disruptive to plants, to animals, and to organisms that live in that soil. And the fear, right, is that the jumping earthworm could actually displace the beneficial regular old earthworm that already exists in an area. Um, But this is where it gets really funky, right? According to the story, regular old earthworms, which I did not know, are technically not native to Western New York either. Earthworm scientist, this Nick Henshu dude, who's like the, 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 the worm you know, savant, right? Says worm it's guy. like, right, worm guy. I got, I got worms, yeah. You got a worm guy. <laughs> he says it's likely that the glaciers moved earthworms well south of the area. In other words, they were there, and then when the glaciers came through, 
the glaciers should have pushed them well out of western New York. And the reason that they exist in western New York and other northern areas is that boats, bait, potted plant, soil being moved easily transports teeny tiny earthworm egg cases. And Henshu says, people go to these pristine areas on fishing trips, and we see this as an invasion front. They dump their bait overboard because they think it will kill the earthworms or the fish will have a good meal. And what they don't realize, and I didn't know this, is that earthworms can live quite happily underwater for about three weeks or more if the water is oxygenated enough. Really? I didn't, I did not know that. Three weeks? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you, you know, you take your container of night crawlers and just go off, dump them. Yeah. You figure, well, they're going to drown, right? Like I yeah. know they live in the dirt, but there's like little air channels and stuff. I thought in the, in the <laughs> dirt, like they have to have air, but no, according to uh, the worm guy, three weeks or more underwater. Okay, lots of layers to this. First, that that last piece is fascinating and will forever change the way I think about disposing of worm bait. But what about the new worms? Like, they sound like they might be dynamite bait. So there's a, there was a little video embedded in this. And uh, if you didn't know what you're looking at, you really wouldn't know it wasn't your your straight-up nightcrawler. They, they have, like, a little bit more milkiness, like some milky bands. I guess that's the iridescence they're talking about. But, I mean, you know, they have this big worm in someone's hand close up, and it is. It's wriggling and, and, and twitching all over the place. But, I mean, in the right circumstances, I've pulled regular night crawlers out of the dirt in my yard, and they do that too. So it's not super noticeable side by side. However, the, the end of this article, it does say, although these pests have now made their way into western New York, it's important that we do our part to slow the spread. God, that sounds familiar. Of the worms by practicing the following. Don't use jumping worms as bait. Mm. Be vigilant when taking part in plant swaps. Obtain clean mulch and compost from reliable sources. All right. Well, doesn't sound like uh, feeding them to fish is going to be the solution to this problem. As I, I mean, chances are, if, if there's as many as people are saying, people are feeding them to the fish all the time. If you're digging your own worms, I swear, man, like if you if you didn't hear this, like chances are you, you, you wouldn't even be paying enough attention. Um, but I do think it just it brings up sort of a more interesting point in, in um, bait transport overall. You know, like a lot of people just go catch crayfish in this creek and go fish them in this river. You know, things like that, there are laws state by state that you really need to check before you do anything like that. You, you think it would be so benign to, you know, even with shiners, there's there's so many lakes that say, do not dump your unused bait. And this sort of ties back to that. I just think it's one of those things that a lot of people don't think about and yeah. what the effects of dumping a few shiners or bringing a few crayfish from here to there, you know, can do. Yeah, no, Huge problem. Bucket biology extends beyond just the fish and live well, and that's I think that's a really good thing for people to remember. All right. So, Phil, you have a lot to digest. You've got gunning down sharks, algae, jumping worms. We, does, <laughs> so the I'm record really, pike. The record pike. Phil, I don't know how you're going to pick, but I know you're going to pick the shooting of a shark. Uh, anyway, so we're going to find out who won, and then uh, right after Phil has uh, declared a victor, if you are not already full on jumping earthworms, we're going to kick it over to our own Giannis Patelis for this week's Yanni's Desk, and he's going to tell you why, gosh darn it, you should be eating some smallmouth bass. Hear ye, hear ye, all rise for the honorable judge Phil the Engineer who can count the number of fish he has caught in his lifetime on one hand. 
Miles Nolte came in hot this week, spanning the gamut from the scientific to the sensational. But the allure of guns, sharks, jumping worms, it was all too much for me to deny, and therefore I declare Joe Cermelli the winner of week one. <laughs> Thank you to whoever will be keeping track of this on the Bent Wiki page. Please find something better to do with your life. All right, welcome back to Yanni's Desk. Today, smallmouth is on the menu. That's right, you heard it. On the menu because it is good to eat. I don't care who you are, how many smallmouths you've caught, what body of water you're catching them out of. If you think otherwise, you are simply a bad cook or whoever's cooking the fish for you doesn't know what they're doing. I would put it right up there with a redfish. Very similar, actually, in flesh. The texture and the density, very similar to a redfish. The flavor might be a little bit different, definitely a little bit more freshy water tasting, but uh, awesome. I recently caught a couple, decided to grill them up. You can definitely fry them. You can fry any fish and make it taste good, but it tastes like cornmeal and oil and whatever seasonings you put on there. If you want to taste what a fish really tastes like, it's good to keep it simple. Throw it on the grill. And now my buddy Ryan Callahan told me about this method of preparation for smallies. So we decided to try it and it worked out slick. I simply filleted them and I did not scale them. Now Steve has talked about this before and I noticed this. I really doled up my knife filleting these fish and working through those scales. So we had some good sized ones, 17, 18 inches. Some people will scale fish just for that reason, so that their knife will work better when they're filleting the fish then. But I just filleted them, left the scales on, and then we did them a couple different ways as far as seasonings go. We had olive oil and salt and pepper on a couple. We had olive oil and Cajun seasoning, spices on a couple. And I also, this is a trick I learned from our friend Jesse Griffiths down in Texas, is we caramelized a whole bunch of onions and then took those caramelized onions and put them right on top of the raw fillet. And then we took all those fillets and just set them on a hot grill, put the lid on it. It definitely didn't take more than 10 minutes. And uh, those fillets were cooked. Didn't cook them too long. Don't want to dry them out. But they were ready to roll. Let me tell you, they were delicious. Everybody thought they were delicious. You should go try it out. You need to be careful, though. Smallmouth, unlike their largemouth cousins, are slow to grow and long-lived. They often take five years just to reach 12 inches, which is the legal harvest size in many states. The oldest recorded smallmouth lived to a ripe old age of 26 years. That is an old fish. You kind of feel bad about killing one that old, but you're not going to be able to know when you catch them. So. They don't spawn every year. Only about 25% of the males make nests in a given year. Smallmouth also produce far fewer eggs than largemouth, about half as many per fish. Now, this all isn't to say that you shouldn't harvest and eat smallies, but just be thoughtful about it. Only harvest from healthy stocks, avoid harvesting the large females, and only keep what you need for a meal. It's not like a giant salmon run where you're going to you know, fill your freezer for the next year, but it's definitely worth eating fresh. I've never frozen one, so I can't tell you what it tastes like after it's been frozen for a while. I'm sure it's still good, but... Uh, I think just to keep your local fishery or wherever you're at healthy, take what you need for a meal, enjoy it, fry it up, grill it, do whatever you want to do. There you go. Smallies on the menu.
Well, uh, if that wasn't controversial enough, here comes our boy Lance V. In this week's <laughs> Trolling with Lance, uh, he's going to teach you how to get on a pro staff. And some of what he's Finally. going to explain will undoubtedly be hard for many of you to hear. And I apologize. But sometimes the only way to make it as a successful internet angler is through the school of hard knocks. From the land, to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, f***ing up the internet with your boy Landry! What up, ass clowns? Welcome to another installment of Trolling with Lance. I'm Lance V, and I just racked up more Instagram followers in the time it took to introduce myself than you could in 10 years. Hashtag trifling. But I'm not here to be discouraging. That's what mirrors and selfies are for. I'm here to keep it real and help you on the path to internet fishing greatness. I haven't read any of my DMs since, like, 2016, but I know a shit ton of them go something like this. Yo, Lance, I just hit 235 followers on Instagram. How do I get on a pro staff? Great question. After all, being a legit internet fisherman has nothing to do with enjoyment of the sport, sharing useful fishing info, or creating a community. It's about free gear, mother Or at least the appearance of free gear. It's about making people think your shit is so tight that companies throw endorsement deals at you like you're a dartboard. Now, this is kind of a complex topic because there are two kinds of pro staffs, real ones and imaginary ones. When you see me drop hashtag Gucci, hashtag Nitro, hashtag Monster Energy, hashtag Hook, hashtag Applebee's, hashtag Netflix, hashtag Bennigan's, hashtag 13 Fishing, hashtag Def Jam, hashtag Spencer Gifts, and hashtag Megabass, it's mad real. It's so real that if I backed out of those deals, their social media presence would drop harder than a Skrillex breakdown. Hashtag Truth Hurts. In this segment, I'm going to give you some tips for getting on an imaginary pro staff. Because let's face it, you ain't getting on any real ones. That would be like telling a blind kid he could drive like they do in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift if he works really, really hard. I mean, I ain't fronting with false hopes. That just ain't right. So, here are the four levels of imaginary pro staff status. Hashtag dream big. Level uno. Tag, you're in. Choose anywhere from 15 to 47 fishing gear brands you like. Actually using any of their products is not required. Tag all of them in every single post you drop. You're now on all of their pro staffs. I mean, it's total bullshit, but you're the only one that knows that, right dog? Every other poser will tremble with reverence and respect. It's simple psychology. Most people naturally assume that if you tag a brand, you are affiliated with it. If you aren't, why the hell would you give the company free promotion for no reason? Nobody would ever do that. Hashtag knowledge is power. Level two. Stick them up. There's no way you get enough money in that birthday card from your gram-gram to buy that Shimano Stella you've been tagging. But you do earn enough in one shift at Chick-fil-A to purchase copious amounts of Shimano stickers. Your sticker portfolio is more important than your stock portfolio. For real. Every time you take a picture of one of your cheap-ass tackle trays because you ain't catching shit, there needs to be a different sticker on the lid. Nobody will ever assume you paid your hard-earned money for a sticker. Ergo, when they see that jackal sticker on your Home Depot bucket, they'll assume jackal hunted your ass down to represent. Hashtag jacket. Level traced. The friend zone. I know you don't have many friends, but you know that one guy with a hookup. 
Maybe your cousin gets an employee discount at Walmart or your uncle in Florida knows someone who makes soft plastics and you get a free bag for Christmas. It really doesn't matter. You just have to be able to flaunt that you don't pay full price for shit. More importantly, once you've established a line to some level of discounts or freebies, you have to tell your three friends you can hook them up, but then never follow through. Hashtag suckers. Level Reno Quattro. Beg. Let's assume you have an insignificant number of Insta followers, like less than 300,000. If you got the time to send hundreds of DMs and emails, eventually you'll get on the pro staff of some half-assed company. You might be saying, Lance, isn't that like being on a real pro staff? No, it's still imaginary. You'll have to commit to buying a certain amount of their shit at 20% to 40% off. Rest assured, giving you that fake discount will not hurt their bottom line. You'll then spend the rest of your life overtagging the out of them and smile every time you do it. By the time you finally realize that they'll sign anyone with a pulse, it's too late. You'll have to either keep fishing with their garbage that you're actually paying for or revert back to complete loser status online because you're not on a pro staff. Hashtag choose wisely. Remember, if they don't come to you and stroke a check while whining and dining you on a corporate card at the Sizzler, you're not actually on the pro staff. But don't sweat it, because for 99.9% of internet fishermen, being on an imaginary pro staff is just as good. Maybe even better. Real pro staffs come with real responsibilities, yo. You gotta produce. Pressure's on, son. You gotta catch fish, and I mean somewhere other than the pond in your friend's gated golf course neighborhood. Hashtag mo money, mo problems. So that's it for this week. I know Miles and Joe would love me to drop hashtag bent all over my post, but Meat Beater ain't got that kind of skrilla. I'll catch you next time, if you're lucky, and I'm not a full-fledged member of the Guggen Squad by then. Hashtag John B is my Jesus. Every time I hear Lance talk, every time his mouth is moving, I just miss the days before social media. Remember those days? <laughs> like when, when being a fishing celebrity just meant you had multiple pictures of yourself tacked up on the brag board at the local tackle shop. Oh, yeah. I mean, brag board's a thing of the past, but you know what else I miss, man? Remember how the good old tackle shops would have like a bulletin board, like a communal bulletin board somewhere, and they would just be like classifieds, like tacked up, like flyers. Oh, yeah. like, Free dog, missing one leg. You know, deer corn, <laughs> handmade crab nets, and they would just, you'd cut the bottom, and there'd just be the little oh, yeah. phone number rip, you'd rip off. No, no one cut it. You just ripped it. You just ripped it, and no then everybody, and, and then you'd, like, you'd stick those in your wallet and prank call those people later. I, I miss that, too. It's like <laughs> I the, actually, community, the community forum in thumbtack form. Totally. I, I, I remember there were always those three-by-five note cards <laughs> they probably had like a, a like a Jello mold recipe on the back of there or something, and and you know just said in like chicken scrawl like 1966 Lund for sale, <laughs> minor damage. Call Billy at five 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 six two five seven, and then you'd have to waste half a Saturday and actually drive out to Billy's overgrown back lot yep. to figure out how minor the damage actually was. <laughs> well, nowadays you can just see the photos online, right? But yeah. they're usually very strategically taken which is the other thing so now it's like oh minor damage but the only thing you can see is like a, a tight close-up of the mako logo so you at least know that it is a mako boat and it does exist somewhere but like that's all you see i mean yeah. it's 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 still a gamble you know but I, the online junk shopping it's a trip man so let's let's take our trip this week to the sale bin well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. All right, man. So, Miles, you are going to take the reins on this one because uh, you've managed to pull yourself away from the casual encounters section on Craigslist. 
long enough to look for some good Bozeman junk this week. <laughs> you got a ringer here. <laughs> we gotta we gotta have some some regional diversity in these. Like you got the East lockdown. I'm I'm looking out for the West. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I I was digging through the the old Bozeman Craigslist and and not in the way that you guys are going to accuse me of later. But I found this post for wedding special occasion fly fishing boutonniere with feathers <laughs> only $25 and uh i mean the thing about these is i have actually had to wear fly fishing boutonnieres and 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 seen nicely tied beautiful flies that went for boutonnieres is kind of a thing out here and and what i'm looking at are not those this looked like a a chicken exploded and and someone glued it to a hook these are these are craft store feathers okay for one thing like these are not even nice fly shop feathers these were purchased at a chain craft store i know this because i buy this shit for my kid to tie her flies with like she likes to do that so like she's not Uh using all daddy stuff um and they are just the most hideous drab colors right like they're not Oh God! It's just shades of browns and grays. But dude, I've I've actually so I've 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 been in a wedding with a fly boot near too, and I was the guy taxed with tying the theme colored deceivers for the boutonnieres. Okay, mm-hmm. black and chartreuse for my buddy Eric Kerber, who uh, will be and has been on this show. Um, and it's funny because it's like dudes don't do weddings, right? Like we don't get as crazy as the ladies about wedding things, but. I was like spray painting patterns on the tail feathers and things. And like, I do want to be like, this is not perfect. This one's, I just, this one's not perfect. This is for a wedding. It's not perfect. And dude, I had to tie seven of them and it took me like six months to make them, to make them perfect. So knowing the pain that actually goes into crafting this for somebody's special day, these are horrendous. And they're so bad. And I like the write up. Uh, it, it says in, in huge caps, never, never used. used. $25 each or $100 for all five. There's about $3 worth of material in all of them. And either, the way I see it, right, bullshit they were never used. You're just trying to make a quick buck off something you have laying around from your old wedding. Or, dude, what what if what if dude got stood up? Like, what if these were ready for the big day and he just, you know, fly fished too long, one too many times, and this whole thing went kaput? I think the third option that I came up with is that they ordered these because they say they ordered them from a, a Colorado artisan in the write-up. I think they got them. They realized how hideous they were. They claim they, oh, wait, I should also say this. It says in the last sentence, unfortunately, we forgot to pack them to our wedding location, so they have never <laughs> been used. I'm calling bullshit. I think you intentionally forgot these because you bought them and you had the buyer's remorse. And you're like, I'm not wearing that shit on my wedding day. That's not coming with us. And now you're trying to recoup some of your, your your sunk money on that. Also, these awful feathers are just placed in like little little black, like super sharp, pointy parking cones. And all I can think is, dude, if you drilled through, you could make a line through, you know what I mean? Fly out of these and like you get something to eat it. Or I could make a sweet daisy chain to troll for tuna as is. Although yeah, I, could, I, could, I could make these for a fraction of a hundred bucks. So um they can have them, but maybe we're the jerks, dude. Maybe somebody maybe out there, we, well, their, their special day, this is exactly what they want. Hideous we're craft definitely store. The jerks. Hideous craft store. We're definitely the jerks. But if uh, if you want to help us continue being internet jerks and making fun of things that people are selling that have something vaguely to do with fishing, please let us know. We need your input to continue making this segment amazing. Send us an email at bent 
at themeateater.com and let us know what kind of weird crap you found on the internet for sale. You know, man, I'll pass on the boutonnieres, but I, one thing, <laughs> one thing I, I, I do buy uh, on occasion online, be it eBay or Craigslist, I do buy old lures, especially yeah. like hard to find stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you, do, you, do you not do that? Do you not root around like and, and, and buy things you just can't grab in the shop anymore? I, I always threaten to. Like, I, I do look through <laughs> the things for sale and regularly go, oh, I, I would love to get that, but I never, I never follow through. I'm just, I'm, I think I'm just weird about buying used shit off the internet from people that I don't know because I feel like those transactions are always so awkward. Oh, they are. They are. And it's weird because people put stuff up for sale and it's like they're excited about selling their things until you actually start inquiring and then they get all like, well, who the hell are you? <laughs> and it's like, well, dude, you put this up for sale, man. And then it gets all weird. Like, no I'll one text- trusts each other because there's so many scams out there. Exactly. They're like, are you a real person? I don't know Te- if you're a real person. Text me when you get to this 7-Eleven and I'll send you a passcode. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. All right, whatever. But yeah, no, I, I, I'll particularly buy discontinued stuff that I can't find. And uh, this is great because we're coming to the end of the line. We're just about out of time. And uh, in our end of the line segment today, we're going to be talking about a, a very old lore been around a long time mm-hmm. uh, and it is not discontinued though it is not popular in all regions of this country uh however let me tell you if you want to up your big brown trout game pay attention to this one fishy 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 well that's not loud enough bird today i am paying tribute to the smithwick rattlin rogue Stick bait. Now, the Smithwick has been around, man. What started as a hobby for Jack K. Smithwick in 1947 blossomed into a monster lore business based in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I kind of find that interesting because hard stick baits are so much more associated with northern fisheries like walleye and pike and smallmouths, right? And if you've ever been to the uh, Louisiana Low Country, Dude, there are so many stumps and so much vegetation in that water. I feel like the three trebles on a rogue would not stay unstuck for two shakes of a rod tip, right? Uh, it, it almost would feel more appropriate for the Arbogast hula popper or jitterbug to have been the hometown lore of Shreveport. But ironically, those baits were all made further north in Ohio. Weird, right? Anyway, Smithwick's southern roots might explain why the rogue became the number one go-to big trout slayer in Arkansas, Louisiana's neighbor to the north. Now, as the uh, now world-renowned trophy brown trout fisheries developed in Ozark rivers like the White and the Little Red, them good old boys wasn't out there trying to get a dainty sip on a Comparadun. Know what I'm saying? They wasn't flicking a Panther Martin around on two-pound test. Those guys fish just like they did for everything else, simply yet aggressively, in a manner that would produce the meat. So if you think back to the earliest days of those fisheries, options were limited. There were no uh, Rapala slash baits or Kytec swing impacts on the shelf at the general store in Arkansas, but there were Rattlin Rogues. So despite a wide variety of lure options today, uh, tell you the truth, 
you will still have a hell of a hard time finding a shop in Ozark Trout Country that doesn't have rogues, if for no other reason than to cater to the older crowd that just will not waver from their utter devotion to that bait. And I'm a believer in the power of the rogue, thanks to Pete the Jigman Cobb, who happens to be one of those old sages on the White River. You know, Pete had been guiding the white for many, many years, and I think he was pretty used to catering to clients that just wanted to catch lots and lots of trout, right? And when I was fishing with him all those years ago, I think at outset, he assumed that I was one of those people. And we had caught so many smaller fish on tiny jigs day one. I I lost count. And by the end of it, I kind of lost interest too. And so had he. But he wasn't going to say that. I didn't know that until I suggested that tomorrow we throw nothing but big stick baits all day, regardless of outcome. And Pete lit up, man. He was happier than a pig in shit hearing that. It turned out that Pete was all about swinging for the fences. And that next day, I learned that fishing a rogue properly was just as taxing on the arms as stripping giant streamers for hours and hours on a fly rod. And the sharp angle and width of that lure's lip, it's pretty unique, and it it creates a lot more water resistance, I think, than similar baits. And it makes it necessary to whip that rod extra hard to get a rogue to depth fast. And, you know, no joke, when you're doing it right, it burns, man. But that steep lip is also what makes a rogue like kick to the side more violently, flash more radically than a lot of other stick baits. And of course, nowadays, Smithwick makes suspending models, but even the original old school floaters rise very slowly. So when you pause, they suspend beautifully, and that's often when the fatal blow is delivered. Now, I can't say that Pete and I destroyed that day, but the shoulder workout was worth it because we did not catch a brown under 20 inches, and a couple of the fish we did catch could be measured in pounds, right? And, you know, thinking back, honestly, the Rogue was not exactly a staple um, in shops where I grew up in the Northeast. Nobody used them or even talked about them that I recall, but because of what I learned from Pete and fishing them in the Ozarks, the Rogue is a staple for me now. In fact, the biggest brown trout I've caught to date on the Lehigh River in Pennsylvania, which is pretty close to where I live, fell to a Ratlin Rogue, and I've mowed down some big local smallmouths and pickerel on them too. So it just goes to show you that despite the constant push to rope anglers with new technology, there's a reason why classic shit doesn't change or go away. So that's it for this week. We hope you learned, laughed, felt slightly uncomfortable, and then came to the realization that laughter is always the best medicine. We also seriously hope you like Ben so much that you're telling all your best fishing buds about it. Please take a minute, leave us a review, and and don't forget, genuinely, we'd love to hear from you. Please, please, please direct all comments, rave reviews, or concerns mm-hmm. to bent at themeateater.com or... You know, you can just write it in and tell us what you're catching. Absolutely. Tell us a crazy ass story. Send us an awkward photo. We might use it just so you know. And drunk emailing is always welcomed and appreciated un- <laughs> unless you used to date either of us, in which case, Ooh. I don't know. I'm sorry about everything. <laughs> 
I really hope that doesn't happen. Uh, until <laughs> next week, remember to wet those knots with your own saliva, not someone else's, so you don't get COVID. And remember, fishing isn't about <laughs> catching. It's about creating Instagram stories that are longer than The Godfather. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.